Uh, the two passages tonight are Ecclesiastes 1, 1 to 15, and then the second passage is 1 Corinthians, there you go, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 58. So, the first reading, Ecclesiastes 1. In the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil at under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the north, to the south, and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are worrisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear it's full of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. And so then that takes us to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 to 58. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the, peri- the nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Uh, Sorry to do this to you, but let me just read to the end of verse 58. (laughs) The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Sorry, but verse 58 is kind of the key verse I'm talking about tonight, so I felt like I needed to share it with you. Hello, Uni Church. It's great to be with you again. Uh, great to uh, be sharing God's Word with you today. We are finishing our little mini-series 
on the topic of work, which I know has been really interesting because uh, many of us here are workers, many of us are, are students hoping one day to make our contribution and to, to do our thing. And so I do hope that um, that's, this, this series has really been helping you. Um, next week, we'll actually be beginning another little series on the book of Jonah, uh, which is another great um, little book that I enjoy, and I'm looking forward to bringing some of that to you as well. And that will take us all the way through to Christmas, which I'm trying not to think about. So let's pray that God would give us... Oh, one more thing I forgot. We will have time for questions tonight, and I do have the phone. I do not know if we have the number of the phone that we can pop up on the screen. But if you want to ask a question, I'll give you a chance to ask it from the floor uh, a little later. But also, uh, if you'd like to kind of message it in as well, then I can pick it up from the phone as well. All right. Let's pray that God would give us understanding of his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do pray that you might help us in our labours in your word tonight. Through your spirit, we pray for understanding and insight that we might see what you have written here for us. But we also pray for strength, Lord, the strength to make these words a reality in our lives. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, tonight I do want to ask you a question that you may not like the answer to. Although it's not my answer, it is the Bible's answer. I'm just the messenger boy tonight. Uh, But the the question I want to ask you is this. What is the point of life if all it is is eat, sleep, work, repeat? We spend our lives working, labouring, toiling away, and what do we have to show for it all? What actually is the reason for us to, to keep on going and keep on accumulating all that lovely hex debt that we're accumulating? Our work feels like it should have value. It feels like it should be lasting and meaningful and significant and fulfilling. Uh, and it feels that way, especially after the, some of the sermons we've been hearing uh, about work. And, you know, sometimes it's true. Sometimes that is the way that our work, whatever it might be, feels, especially here in the wealthy West. But the bottom line is that for most people in most places at most times, that is a complete nonsense. That is not what work feels like at all. Work is frustrating and futile. It's repetitive. And often people only do it because, really, what's the alternative? What real choice do we have? I remember seeing a a great bumper sticker years ago, I owe, I owe, so it's off to work I go. I thought that brilliantly captured the reason why most people work. Uh, These stats are a little old, but I think they're probably still right. One third of Australians hate their job. Two thirds of Australians, they, they work in a job that they would rather not be working in. They'd rather be doing something else, but they can find no way out. The majority of people find no satisfaction in their work. Most suicides in Australia occur when? On Sunday night, because people don't want to go to work the next day. When do most heart attacks occur in Australia? On Monday morning, just as the stress of the working week begins to build up again. Many people dread their work. They dread the 100,000 hours or so that it takes from our lives, and that's just our paid work, let alone all the rest of the work that we do. 
And so there's all these kind of, there's these strange kind of pressures going on in our society today. There's this kind of big push in some corners for, you know, we need to work less. We need to have kind of a four-day working week. That's the, the kind of answer that we need. And yet, on the other hand, people are saying, but we, no, we need to work longer. So there's this big push now. The, the retirement age is getting later and later and later. And now in the UK, for example, one in nine people over this age of 65 still works full-time. Uh, you know, and that's that's becoming part of our our culture even here. You know, are they ever going to let us stop working? Uh, not me. I told you a, a few weeks ago that the the diocese of Perth has now abolished the retirement age for clergy, which means I'm here until I'm the one in the box up the front here one day. And you know, the the unpaid labour in our life, the rest of our life, it's no different. Uh, the comedian Dylan Moran once summarised life as. Gardening, 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 death. You know, it's all just a waste of time, pun very much intended. And I must admit that with four kids uh, in our house, you know, it doesn't matter how many times I vacuum under the, the dining table, it always seems to need another go. You know, we want our work, we want our labour, we want it to have some meaning, we want it to have some significance. It's just hard to feel like it ever does. And even the most dedicated of us have moments where we just feel like chucking it all in. Now, here's the answer that the Bible gives that you might not like. That feeling that work is pointless, that feeling that that everything that we do is in vain, that feeling is right. That is actually uh, an accurate and true instinct. Uh, That's uh, the right way of thinking about life in a fallen world. But here's the thing, even as the Bible says that, it also says there is a labour, there is a work that you can be involved in that does have meaning, that does have significance, that does have a point, a labour that is not in vain and a labour that in fact will last forever. And that something has happened in our universe that is so incredible, it radically and permanently changes the value of everything that we do. And that that thing is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So today I want to talk to you about a few things. It's coming up on an outline on the screen right now for those of you who enjoy taking notes. I want to talk to you about how there is a labour that is in vain from Ecclesiastes 1. But there is also a labour that is not in vain from 1 Corinthians 15, particularly from verse 58. You can see it there. You know, If you're very dexterous, keep a finger in both of those passages. We'll look at both of those things tonight. But firstly then, what is the labour that is in vain? Uh, that is, what is the labour that that, that's not lasting, that's not meaningful, that's not significant, that's not fulfilling? And according to the teacher of Ecclesiastes, the answer to that question is all of it. It's all in vain. Uh, all of our labour is in vain. Everything that we do, everything that we strive for under the sun, it's all pointless. Come with me to Ecclesiastes 1, uh, verse 3. If I had to to sort of summarise the whole book of Ecclesiastes to you, I'd use verse 3. It's the teacher's search for gain under the sun. Uh, Verse 3. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? You know, what the teacher's looking for is what's meaningful in life? What's something that is permanent, something that lasts, something that satisfies, something that's actually, you know, worth giving your whole life to? Something of real gain, a lasting profit for all of our efforts. And what's his conclusion? 
It's in the verse before that. It's in verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. There is no gain for all of our labours. It is, if you read the older translations, vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. Everything is in vain. It's all pointless. Now, I think the best way to understand the book of Ecclesiastes is that it's a little bit like the story of the three little pigs. Remember the story of the three little pigs? You know, uh, the, the pigs, they run from house to house hiding from the big bad wolf, but he always comes along and kind of blows the house down. Well, the book of Ecclesiastes is like that. The teacher, he tries hiding in all these different houses. He, he tries looking for, for everywhere for gain. He searches with great care and wisdom. He engages in all sorts of different labours. Uh, the great projects and works of his day were all done by him. You know, the, the greatest artistic and intellectual and commercial and cultural and architectural projects, all of them he engaged in to see if any one of them held meaning, if any one of them was, was a refuge from the wind of meaninglessness. But every single time, the big bad wolf of meaninglessness just blows the house down. Time and time again, the teacher comes to the conclusion, you can't hide there. That too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, when he says meaningless there, um, it, it's, there's a little bit of nuance is required. He doesn't mean that something doesn't have any meaning at all. It's just, as he says, everything is just so temporary. Everything is just so, so fleeting. Everything is like breath. You know, it, it's, it's there for a moment, but then it's gone. Last week, I, I wasn't with you. I was uh, back in New South Wales. I was actually in Katoomba, up in the mountains, if you know New South Wales. Um, it was one degree on Saturday morning. It was, it was chilly. Uh, and so I, I walked outside early in the morning. I, I breathed out, and it, it was a freezing cold morning. So I, I saw my breath. A big white plume kind of blew out from me. I, I felt awesome. I felt like I was a dragon. It was great. Um, and, but of course, it's there for a moment and it's beautiful, but then it's gone. Then it vanishes. And that's what life is like, says the teacher. That's what all our efforts are like. Yeah, they're, they're beautiful, they're wonderful, but they're so short-lived. They're so temporary. They're like that first warm breath on a cold winter's morning. That's what the teacher means by meaningless. Everything is beautiful in its time. It's just that its time is so short. Everything is fleeting and futile against the march of time and the inevitability of death. So verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Uh, yeah, life, it just, it's going around in a big circle, the teacher says. And, and so life really, he almost sees it, it's, it's a bit like a picture that moves at two speeds. It's a bit like one of those kind of slow motion photographs. In the background, very slowly, you can see the earth turning, the sun rising and setting, the wind blowing, the rivers running, all happening slowly and all happening again and again and again forever. But down in the foreground, 
moving so quickly, blurring your eyes, so, so quickly that you can't even see it. It all just seems like a, a big blur. Are human beings living out their lives, rushing around in all of, all of their labours, the eyes not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. They're so busy, and yet what does it amount to compared to that backdrop of eternity? What are all human accomplishments compared to forever? It doesn't matter how much you achieve. When you divide by forever, it equals exactly nothing. The teacher, he's the the stark realist of the Bible. He, uh, He captures brilliantly both the toil and joy and the fleeting success and immense frustration that we all experience in life and in our labors. And so what's the best that we can hope for in this life? He says a little later in chapter 2, verse 24, he says, A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. What's the best that you can hope for in life? That God gives you something that you at least enjoy. Enjoy in its moment. You know, everything is beautiful in its time. There is a goodness to our work. There is an importance to our work. It's just that its time is short. Our moment is fleeting. And don't kid yourself that what you're doing has any real significance, not compared to forever. It's a hard word that the teacher has for us. Now, of course, some of us might want to reject the teacher's conclusion. Uh, We might want to argue with him and say, no, actually, I do think that what I do has a point that there is something meaningful about what I do. And, you know, if this was just my conclusion, then I would think you'd be right to argue with me. You know, if, if it was just me saying this, then you'd be right to reject it. And I do think, you know, the less impressive the person, then the more this just feels like kind of their problem that they're having with their life, you know. You could easily say, maybe Evan's just having a bad day as he says this. And after all, what has he really achieved in life anyway? And... That might be true, except this would feel very different, wouldn't it, if uh, it was coming from someone like Elon Musk or Bill Gates or, or someone like that, wouldn't it? If they were the ones who said, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Suddenly it doesn't sound like just a problem for them, it sounds like a problem for all of us. Uh, sadly, I couldn't secure any of their services this week. Uh, Elon has his own trouble with fleeting value these days. But it's not me who's saying this. The one who says these words is Solomon, the great king of Israel. I mean, he doesn't call himself Solomon. He calls himself the son of David, who was king over Israel in Jerusalem, which narrows it down to exactly one person, that person being Solomon. But there was no king like Solomon either before or after him. He had access to resources and abilities that you and I can only dream of in his quest for meaning. And yet, what did he find? Nothing. See, I've said this before, but I think our problem is that we're middle class. The lie that we are sold, which is the lie that we tell ourselves, is that there is meaning to all of our toil under the sun, or at least one day there will be. You know, if only I work a little harder and do a little better and rise a little higher and earn a little more and enjoy things a little extra, that next step in front of me, surely that's the one that will deliver meaning. That's the one that will bring me significance and and suddenly everything will make sense. 
And if it's not that next step, then surely it's the one after that or the, the one after that, you see, and so on and so forth. But of course, Solomon reached the very top. Solomon followed that path right to its very ends. He reached the very heights of what someone can achieve in life. And from that lofty vantage point, what did he see? Nothing. Nothing that mattered. Nothing that lasts. He found no house of bricks to hide in. And if Solomon comes to that conclusion, that there is nothing to gain from all of our labours, then who are we to disagree? And of course, we might be no one, but there is one who does disagree. And he came some 3,000 years later, and his name was Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And here we come to 1 Corinthians 15, to our, our other passage. Flip over to there now, because right there at the very end of a magnificent chapter, in verse 58, the apostle Paul says something that is very different to the teacher of Ecclesiastes. In fact, he says something that is the complete opposite to the teacher of Ecclesiastes. And it comes to us like a, a cold glass of water on a scorching hot summer's day. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There is a labor, Paul says, that is not in vain. There is a labour that is lasting, is meaningful, is significant, is fulfilling and is forever in direct contradiction to what the teacher said. And there is a reason always to give yourself fully to that kind of labour. And the reason is that this life is, is not all that there is. There is more to life than, than chasing for gain under the sun. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is a life that goes on forever. Now, of course, this begs the question, what is this labour in the law that Paul is talking about here in verse 58? What's it actually mean? Well, um, grammatically, it's, it's very similar to uh, what he says a little earlier in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 1, and also what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 10. And you can look up those two things a little later if you want. And in both of those places, the Apostle Paul um, uses it to describe the work of gospel ministry, uh, of what he did when he preached to the Corinthians the good news of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. Uh, it is, in essence, it is seeking to win people to Christ and growing them in Christ. It's the work of making disciples. But why that's significant is even clearer here in 1 Corinthians 15, because what is 1 Corinthians 15 about? It is the great chapter about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So flip back to verse 1, would you, just for a moment. I'm not going to go through it verse by verse. I just want to very quickly give you some of the highlights of it. Uh, verse 1, because Paul begins with a, a summary of his gospel message in verses 1 and 2, the gospel that we have believed and that we are saved by if we hold firmly to it. Uh, so don't change it, don't lose it, don't give up on it, don't be ashamed of it, says Paul. Otherwise, we have believed in vain. Uh, and what is that gospel in verses 3 to 8? Well, it is 
that Jesus Christ has died as a sacrifice for our sins. That he died in order to take on himself all the consequences of our rebellion against God. And then having died, he was buried. And then verse 4, having been buried, he rose again to life again. And having been raised, he was seen, he was seen alive. First he was seen by the Apostle Peter, then by the Twelve, then by the, the 500 brothers and sisters there. And last of all, he says, even to the Apostle Paul, the Lord Jesus appeared. There are, there are eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Jesus truly walked out of the grave uh, as truly as you walked into this room and sat down tonight. A resurrection body, never to die again. The grave is empty. And the Apostle Paul passes this on to us as of first importance, because what could be more important than this? Someone has dealt with our sin. And that someone has so dealt with our sin that he has conquered death itself. He rose again from the grave to demonstrate the reality of his victory. And he rules now and reigns forever as the Lord Jesus Christ. And much of the rest of this chapter, uh, Paul spends uh, talking to us about how the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the first fruits. It's the promise of our resurrection. And just as the, the first fruits of a harvest are the, uh, the announcement that there is a, a greater harvest that is to come, so too the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the announcement of a much greater resurrection. Uh, he rose from the dead, never to die again as proof that one day all who trust in him will rise from the dead, never to die again, and we will reign forever with him. One day we will be, verses 42 to 44, one day we will be imperishable and glorious and powerful and spiritual. We will, verse 49, bear the image of the heavenly man, whereas once upon a time we bore the image of the earthly man, that it was Adam. And we will receive victory over death, sin and the law. According to verse 57, we will in every way receive the promise of life eternal. It's a glorious message, 1 Corinthians 15. But do you begin to see where I'm going with all of this? The teacher of Ecclesiastes says, it doesn't matter how much you achieve in life. It doesn't matter what you work for in life, because when you divide it by forever, it, it equals exactly nothing. And so it's all in vain. And what does Paul say? What if there is something that lasts forever? What if there are people? People who come to faith in Jesus now, who, who grow in their faith in Jesus now, and because of that faith in Jesus, will now live forever. People who will be raised immortal, never to die again. Because if that is true, then suddenly there is a labor in the Lord that is not in vain. There is something that you can do right now in this life that will have consequences for eternity. Something that will have a forever impact. Suddenly there is a work of the Lord that is worth giving yourself fully to and it is the work of gospel ministry. It is the work of making the disciples. It is the work of winning people for Christ and growing them in Christ. Now, we all do different types of work, don't we? 
right here, right now, there's a whole lot of people who are working in all sorts of different professions, a whole lot of people studying to work in all sorts of different professions. People who are accountants and engineers and lawyers and doctors and and plumbers and and students and, and all sorts of different things. There's some people who are parents. There's all sorts of different things. And you don't, don't mishear me. All of those things are important. All of those things are valuable. All of those things are significant. And we need them. I need them. All of those things. And they all need to be done as if serving the Lord out of a devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing of what we said in the two other sermons that I've given on this topic, none of those things suddenly vanishes. It's just none of those things lasts forever. There is only one kind of work that is not in vain because there is only one kind of work that lasts eternally. You know, the... The accounting, the lawyering, the doctoring, all the things that we do. You know the results of what you do is not lasting. I was a computer programmer before I went into ministry. I am confident that there is not a single piece of code that I wrote that is still out there. Actually, that's probably not true to tell you the truth. Knowing computer programmers, like I know computer programmers, there's something I threw together on a Wednesday afternoon, didn't write any documentation about, that's the linchpin of some server somewhere. No one knows what it does, but they know if they delete it, everything falls down and nothing works. That's a little programmer humour for you there. But, you know, that's what life is like. Nothing lasts. I mow the lawn, the grass keeps growing, I need to do it again. Cook dinner tonight, you'll have to do it again tomorrow night. And the night after, and the night after, and the night after that, the floor can always use another vacuum. The doctor who heals someone today knows that no matter how good a job they do, one day that patient will die. One day we will all die. But you bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ. And you will have done something that lasts forever. You encourage a fellow believer to to grow, to persevere through hard times. And you will have achieved something that lasts longer than anything that Solomon achieved in all his glory. You walk alongside a a brother or sister in hard times, always ready with a gentle word of gospel encouragement, and you are doing a labour in the Lord that is not in vain. Just this week, this morning, at 11 o'clock, we had Michael and Crystal back with us. Michael and Crystal were off in Jerusalem. They were a couple from our church. They were in Jerusalem. They were there. Uh, at a place called the Garden Tomb, seeking to to preach the gospel to visitors to that great city. And they were there when the rockets were flying overhead and when they could hear the explosions. And what was their first instinct? It was to stay because what they were doing was important because sharing the gospel with people was something that lasts forever. Forever. Every day of our life, we have opportunities to be part of this labour in the Lord. Teach a Sunday school class, help out with chair exercises, you know, help with the the supper or or dinner 
after church, lead the music, even just coming to church here, being ready with a word of gospel encouragement for the saints. Or go to Beach Mission, help out with the Crew West Camp, you know, speak of Jesus with a friend at uni or at work, or even just the person who kind of makes you coffee in the morning. Caring for the Christian friend who is sick. I could go on and on. Every day we have opportunities to be part of this labor in the Lord that lasts forever. And yet all these things, you know, all these kind of things that we can talk about, they feel so often like a distraction. They feel like a distraction from the more important things that I'm doing in life, the, the studies that I'm doing and the, the work that I'm doing and the, and the success I'm going to have and the money that I'm going to achieve and all of these sorts of things. They feel like a distraction. And yet if what the Apostle Paul says is right, they are not the distraction. They are the main thing we are doing in life. It's everything else that is the distraction. Those things that we do, that labour in the Lord, they are the only things that last forever because these are the only people who last forever. The teacher asks, what do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? And Paul answers, our labour in the Lord is never in vain. Now, at this point, I know what you're thinking. Because I've given sermons like this before, and so I know what many of you are thinking, because it's always the same thing that many of you are thinking. And that is, you're thinking, Evan, this is very convenient for you. Because you get to spend most of your time involved in the labour of the Lord. Uh, you get to devote most of your life, and you get paid to do it as well. And the answer is, yes, that is all true. There's no point in denying it, so I'm not even going to try and bother. Instead, what I'm going to do is say thank you for making that possible. Because, of course, I can only do this because of your support, the support of the people of St. Matthew's. Uh, it is the money that you give to St. Matthew's that means that I and Ben and Tyler and, and all of them, the ministry team here, all the ministry apprentices here, can do what we are doing. It's only because of your generosity that we are able to give up paid work and be part of gospel proclamation full time. Um, and, you know, that is a real partnership in the gospel. You know, we call our gospel partners our gospel partners because as we support those that we send out to the rest of the world, to the rest of Australia to, to proclaim the gospel, as we do that, we really are partners with them. We really are partakers with them in the ministry that they are doing. They can only go because of what we here give. It is a, a real gospel partnership. There's a wonderful little book that I, I remember reading years and years ago, and it was about um, the stories of people who had, through their incredible generosity, uh, changed the world for Jesus. People who'd used their talents, their connections, and most of all, their wealth to, uh, to really further the cause of Christ. And it, it made the point that actually behind most of the great ones throughout Christian history, there's always been kind of someone else in the wings making it all possible. So, you know, you may have heard of Martin Luther, the great reformer. Uh, behind him was a man called Frederick the Elector. Uh, he was a, a German prince at the time. He um, was the one who funded all of Luther's ministry and even politically gave him protection for over 30 years. 
Or then there's William Tyndale. William Tyndale is one we owe a great debt to. He was the one who first translated the Bible into English at a time when that was actually illegal. But behind William Tyndale was a man named Henry Monmouth, who was a very successful textiles merchant. And he funded not only William Tyndale's ministry, but he funded the first publishing of the English Bible, and he even went to prison in order to do it. Uh, But my favourite is the story of the great 18th century evangelist George Whitfield. Uh, Behind him was a woman by the name of Lady Huntington. Um, and she was everything you can imagine just by her title. She was a, a member of the, a, an extremely wealthy and well-connected member of the British nobility. Uh, she was famous. She was well-known. Uh, she used to throw these enormous, lavish society dinners that were kind of the envy of any of those period dramas that you've ever watched. Uh, the, the British royal family used to regularly attend her dinner parties. And then what she would do is she would then kind of, after dinner was over, she'd wheel George Whitfield out so that he could evangelize them for an hour. <laughs> You know, it was fantastic. It was kind of like Christianity explored for the British upper crust, you know, making sure they all got to hear about about Jesus Christ. And there's a whole series of these amazing people who came to Christ through this incredible ministry of dinner parties that Lady Huntington put on. And really, all of these people were just following the model of women like Lydia and Phoebe in the New Testament, who were the ones who, who funded Paul's missionary journeys. And who knows? One day, one of you here might be so successful financially in the world's terms that you too might be able to fund whole ministries, in which case, come and talk to me, please. I've got lots of ideas. I really want to talk to you about about some of them. Because the truth is, I deserve very little praise for my labours. Most of that praise, of course, belongs to God. He is the one who works through me. And whatever gifts I have are the gifts that he's given me. And some of the rest of the credit, of course, belongs to those who give. They're the ones who make it possible for me to do this full time. And the rest of the credit, that goes to the prayers. That goes to the prayers. The ranks of the prayers who will be gathered around the throne of grace to receive their reward will be so thick that it will push preachers like me so far back that you won't even see us. Not a moment spent in prayer is ever in vain. But having just given away basically all the credit for everything that I do, some of you need to join me. Some of you need to join me. Some of you have the gifts and you have the godliness and you have the opportunities to think about giving up paid work. Either all of it or at least some of it for the sake of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of you at least need to give it a good, hard consideration. You're in a place in life where it is a real possibility for you. Some of you need to think about coming and spending two years doing a ministry apprenticeship with us here at church to really think carefully and set aside that time to be trained and to be readied and to see whether or not a lifetime of serving Jesus full-time is for you. This labour, it needs its leaders. It needs its pastors, it needs its, its preachers, it needs its planters, it needs its counsellors, it needs a whole range of different people. And that means some of you need to give up paid work and come and join me. But we need to finish up. Today the teacher began looking for gain, looking for something permanent, something that lasts, something that satisfies, something that's worth giving your life to. And Paul says, here it is. 
The labor in the Lord that is never in vain. Laboring in the proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is never in vain. Is it costly? You bet it is. I skipped over it, but there's a reason why the middle of 1 Corinthians 15 talks about suffering. But is it worth it? Well, how much is too much to pay to establish someone in eternal life? How much is too much to pay to save someone from hell? How much is too much to pay to help someone to enter into life with Christ forever? How much is too much to pay? Well, what did God himself pay to do all of those things for us? He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all. And what are we really paying when we have the hope of eternal life? We're giving up something that is in vain for something that is never in vain. We're giving up something that is temporary for something that is forever. We're giving up something that we can never keep for something that can never be lost. And when you put it like that, the decision's easy, isn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one perfect sacrifice, not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. By his blood we are forgiven. By his victory we are set free. By his resurrection we have received eternal life. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus we have everything we need and we deserve none of it. It is all a gift from you. And yet to all that you have given us even more. You have given us the chance to be part of your work in Christ Jesus. A labor that is never in vain. You've given us the chance to do something now that we will be able to look at and even feel proud of for all eternity. Lord, what an extraordinary act of grace and kindness you have shown to us. Therefore, may nothing move us. And may each of us give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord that you have given each of us to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name and to his glory. Amen.